Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. It's just cover to cover full of funk goodness. Makes a great gift, too. Whether you're watching on our video format on YouTube or at FunkinStuff.net or listening to the audio version uh, through the podcasts on iTunes and other leading providers, I thank you so very much for continued interest and support. Speaking of which, subscribe if you haven't already done so. Subscribe to the Funkinstuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. And uh, show us the support that we need and uh, that you love the artists, the funk, R&B, and jazz artists that are featured on this program. Thank you so much for that continued support. Featured in this episode is keyboardist, singer, composer, producer, Lisa Coleman, a core member of Prince's Revolution Band during his peak stardom years of 1980 through 1986. She then formed a duo with fellow ex-revolutionary guitar singer Wendy Melvoin as Wendy and Lisa. The pair continues to work together, having also scored music for films and television. Coleman has also contributed to several other noteworthy artists' recordings. Just 19 when she connected with Prince, Coleman took part in hundreds, if not thousands, of rehearsals, recording sessions, concerts, after shows, film and video shoots, and TV appearances with a man widely viewed as modern times' most gifted and accomplished musician. Among the classic albums from that period were Dirty Mind, Controversy, 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, and, a par and Parade. Key tracks and hits from those records and B-sides included Head, When You Were Mine, Let's Work, Little Red Corvette, Delirious, DMSR, Lady Cab Driver, Erotic City, When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Darling Nikki, Paisley Park, Raspberry Beret, She's Always in My Hair, 17 Days, Pop Life, Kiss, Mountains, Another Lover, Hole in the Head, Girls and Boys, and many more. After the revolution was dissolved, Coleman and Melvin went on to release five albums as Wendy and Lisa between 1987 and 2008, including their eponymous debut that featured their best-charting U.S. single, Waterfall. Other catchy singles that failed to chart, but were still very, very good, included Honeyman Express and Lolly Lolly. They also contributed music to movies like Dangerous Minds and TV shows such as Crossing Jordan, Heroes, Touch, No Tomorrow, Shades of Blue, and Nurse Jackie. Coleman has also collaborated with artists such as Joni Mitchell, Seal, Katie Lang, Gwen Stefani, Betty Lavette, F Deluxe, and even Alice in Chains. She continues to be very active today and after Prince's tragic 2016 death, she reunited with all four fellow Revolution members to perform tribute concerts dedicated to their fallen former leader. Here, Coleman talks about working with one of the most creative forces music has ever known and her special connection with him. Also, the personalities and talents of the Revolution, some of the fantastic albums and classic songs of that period, unforgettable memories and highlights, including being taken lingerie shopping with Prince and Morris Day to get her wardrobe when they first started, when she first started with the group. 
if you can imagine that. And also dealing with the loss of Prince and carrying that torch forward. And so much more. So to put a twist on the opening lyrics of Computer Blue, Lisa, is the water warm enough? Then we shall begin. I'm so excited to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm show, keyboardist, singer, composer, producer, Lisa Coleman, who is a core member of Prince's band, The Revolution, during the 1980s, and went on to release several albums and other projects with fellow revolutionist Wendy Melvoin under the name Wendy and Lisa. Lisa, so great to have you. How are you doing today? Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing okay. Just been running around and I'm in LA. So I just got out of my car, which is you're either in your car or on your way to your car or on your way from your car. Um, so I'm a little, a little frazzled from traffic. Oh. Other than that, I'm good. This will be a nice way to sit down for a while and gab. <laughs> Unwind and chill. Yeah, I spent my life up until 13 years ago in Los Angeles, born and raised. So. Oh, I'm, really? Well, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm a yeah. rare native. <laughs> that, that's crazy. Usually people move to here, not yeah. from here. Yeah, I'm the odd one. Well, I started a family, so that's what prompted that. But um, yeah, that's a worthy cause. So, are you from there originally? Yeah, I actually am. I, I'm. I'm born. I was born here. Um, my mother was born here too. So I'm oh. second generation. My father was not born here, though. He was from Pennsylvania. So, um, but yeah, I've lived here. Um, all my life so far, <laughs> and wow. all over the world. Well, I went to uh, Santa Monica High School, so I'll give you an idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right. Do you surf or what? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of went the other way. There were the surfers, and then I was part of the um, more like toward the, the black culture and, and the funk music and all that. Oh, yeah. So. Apparently, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I dabbled in both. I straddle the, the world. <laughs> I know. You did, didn't you? Yeah. You still do. I do. You know, I, I checked out your show and because I was, um, I digress, sorry, but I was thinking about um, Friends of Distinction and I was singing that song, you know, love or let me be lonely. I love that song. And then I noticed that he, you interviewed um, one of the guys. Terry Elston. Yeah. And that was, that's so cool because I was thinking they, they're like overlooked in, in, in a way, you know, it's like, they should just be like, they were amazing. They were. Yeah. I'm so glad that he's still around to tell that story. I know. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was great to see. So yeah, I I uh I was spying on you a little bit last week. Okay. Well <laughs> feel free whenever you want to. Um I'm glad we could finally connect. Uh very, very pleased. And you know, if 
I feel like I've had just about every keyboardist that's been part of the purple world, uh, except for you. So I'm really glad to round that out. Uh, Morris was on, um, Matt, um, St. Paul, um, Monty, um, Gail, Gail Chapman. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So I saved the best for last, no doubt. <laughs> oh, good. And <laughs> better that than late to the party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready to uh, test your memory banks a little bit? Yes. Let's go for it. <laughs> so, Lisa, who were your early musical heroes and inspirations before you ever connected with Prince? Well, it started so early that, you know, I could have a million answers to that. And two of my heroes are, are my mom and dad because they were musicians as well. My dad was a studio musician and my mom, you know, was a mom, but she used to sing in, in clubs at night and she would have her voice lessons and she and stuff at the house. Like she had this guy that would come play the piano and and she would sing. And that's how I got the idea that I wanted to play the piano was watching this guy and watching his hands. Like how how is he doing that? Like <laughs> that's it's like Oh, that's so cool. If I just do the right shapes, it'll come out just like that. <laughs> so after he left, I went there. And it was really frustrating. But um, other than that, um, what's really funny is that when I got my first record player, I think that was in 1970, maybe something maybe 1971 1970 um and the first three records i i bought were um stevie wonder um inner visions uh joni mitchell blue i mean talking book talking book not inner visions it was talking book um joni mitchell blue and lists B minor son sonata, um, Lazar Berman. And, and it, it, it's like, I look back on that and just it's just so perfect, like who, who I am. It's who I ended up being for the rest of my life. I mean, just those three. And I mean, I still love Stevie Wonder. Listen to him probably, you know, several times a week. You know, Joni Mitchell, I had the, great fortune of just seeing her the other day which was i mean i could, i'm tearing up because i thought we lost her for a minute there you know and oh my god it was just so amazing to see her and look in her eyes and you know are you are you okay and you know she's working on it she's she's okay you know but she's She's got some struggles ahead, but she's just starting to play the piano a little bit again. And um, so that that was amazing. And she's such a huge part of my life. And 
the fact that that Prince had that same kind of love for her and that I connected with Prince so strongly, it, it's just a, I don't know, it, it's something magical. I, I can't really name it. It's, it's just something I've been able to experience, you know, in, in, in my life and I'm really lucky for that. When did you first meet her? Um, it was it was Prince's um, Prince's doing actually. He, I I think I think it was the first time. I don't remember having met her, but he wanted to have dinner with her, and um, he invited her to his house for dinner, and she accepted. And he was so excited. He called me and Wendy, and. He made me and Wendy go pick her up, and, and we were like, "What? <laughs> okay." We were like, "Yay! No!" You know, it was like, "Ah, what are we gonna do?" So that was the first time I met her. I was just picking her up at her house, and you know, this poor woman had to get in the car with these two strange girls. Let her like, "Oh my God, it's Joni Mitchell." Was that like the the mid eighties? About yeah, yeah. That was mid eighties, eighty four, eighty five, something like that. It was great. And then she, you know, then we would hang out every once in a while and, and she would come out to see us and on the road and um, we used to go to her house and play Scrabble and Pictionary. Mm -hmm. I played Pictionary with Joni Mitchell. And I can't find that. The, I wish I could find those pictures now. Mm. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so um, getting back to um, those influences. So you had the, the Stevie, the Joni, and the classical. Yeah. Um, what, what was your level of playing sort of professionally before you got with Prince? Um, I, I had just a little bit of experience. I, I mean, um, I had my band and we played in clubs around town. And the, the one thing that I did have was um, a really good understanding of the work ethic and not only from being classically trained and you know just practicing all the time um but my dad would take me to the studio with him sometimes and and he was a real studio musician like put the chart in front of you you know and count it in and play you know and he could do that and i saw him do that over and over again and these guys and very few women, most of them were, were guys, but they were amazing that they could just read charts and do like, you know, these four hour sessions where they'd cut, you know, 10 songs. And, you know, that was like the, the Jackson Fives album or something, you know, they just did. So it was, so I knew about that. I knew how to do that. And 
it was perfect to meet Prince, who was such a maniac in the studio and just worked all the time. You know, it was like the two worlds collided, you know, with the practicing constantly and then like cutting records and, and songs really fast because, you know, it's just, if you got it, you got it and you just got to get it in that moment. And, you know, there's no demos, you know, it's just everything is real. <laughs> Go, boom. Sink or swim. Yeah, that's it. So when uh, Gail left around, uh, I guess, 1980, um, how did you come to find out about the opportunity? And I'm assuming you auditioned and how'd that go? Um, yeah, a friend of mine who I went to junior high with, um, she got a job working for Steve Farnoli, who was Prince's manager back then. And, um, and he put the word out that he needed someone, you know, a girl to replace Gail. And um, I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah, that part then. Yeah, I knew that part could work. <laughs> and um, she just thought I, I, she thought of me and told me about it. And I didn't know who Prince was at the time. Um, so I was, I went and got his, his records, he, his, he had two records out by then. And I was really impressed and like, wow, you know, who is this guy? And, um, and then when I found out it was him like playing all the instruments, <laughs> and I was like, what does he need me for? Like, what, what's going on here? But then they did present it to me initially, like the, the management got in touch with me and, and said, you know, it'll be like a six weeks or two months kind of tour situation. You'll go to Minneapolis and rehearse and then, you know, go out for, you know, a period of time and, and, and that'll pretty much be it. And, you know, here I am like a doddering old woman and, you know, I'm still in the band basically. Um, so that was pretty funny. So did you audition for Prince or so? I, I made a tape. Um, I sent him a cassette of um, just a few songs I had written, um, you know, and I sang and played the piano. I wasn't that, I lied and said, yeah, I sing all the time, you know, I'm a singer. But I hadn't really... I worked with someone else who, and she was the singer. I was always the one that wasn't the singer. <laughs> but, um, but he really liked, he really liked the tape. He got it on his birthday, which was really funny. I remember talking to him on the phone and it was his birthday and he said, what a great birthday present. And, um, and then I flew out to meet him in person and that's when, <laughs> He picked me up at the airport and started having second thoughts because as he tells the story, I wouldn't look at him in the eyes. And I was quiet and strange and he didn't know, like, like this isn't gonna work out. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's Prince dogging somebody, that's the, 
pot coming, calling the kettle black, right? I mean, he was strange and quiet too. He didn't look anybody in the eyes. And in fact, after the band broke up, I would hear people say, you're not allowed to look him in the eyes. I'm like, what? Now it's a rule. Uh, uh, anyway. But so we got some, some classic uh, projection maybe going on there. I know, right? <laughs> See, now you know. But um, so we got to his house and he just, he kind of pointed it and like the piano's downstairs. And he went to the phone to call his manager and say, you know, she's not the one, send her home. And I, I don't know what I was playing, but he said he heard me playing some crazy chords and stuff. And he, he said, never mind, and hung up the phone and came downstairs. And we started playing together. And then it, everything was, was OK, pretty much. <laughs> what, what type of music were you most deeply into at that point of your life? Oh wow! Um, it's that's a tough question. Um, probably more esoteric kind of things, you know, like electronic music, and, you know, Stockhausen and John Cage, and it was really getting, you know. Because it was, I was 19 and it was like, you know, jazz wasn't enough. You know, that's like, that was too normal. And I was like, <laughs> you know, push it to the edge. And so I was really interested in, in, you know, I mean, there was a certain amount of like fusion, jazz fusion that I liked, but um, even that got kind of cheesy pretty fast. You know, I, I liked punk rock better than I liked, you know, Chick Corea after a while, even though I loved Chick Corea, you know, but it was just like, like not, an, not enough, you know. You well, mostly playing piano then, or were you pretty into synthesizers and all the other stuff too? Um, I, was in, I, I was into other things, um, but I never, I mean, almost never. I, I, it was kind of separate. It was either piano or electronic. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't mix it up ever. I don't know why, but I just didn't. And the piano for me was just so meat and potatoes necessary, you know that. Um, I think I left it at home um, when I went to explore sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I had to just be unencumbered. Because when I play the piano, I play, I tend to play everything. But when you're a keyboard player and you're playing with other people, you have to just play, you know, find your space. And, um, and it's easier to do that if you're not, if I'm not playing the piano because I'm a pig, basically. <laughs> like all left hand, boom, 
the bass player going, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. I was just reharming that chord right there. You don't mind, do you? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so when did you, when you were there and Prince came to you and, and you were playing with him a little bit, did he tell you then you had the gig or you found out later? Or? I found out later. Yeah, he didn't tell me then. He he was still kind of checking me out and stuff. And um, so I did go home. And then I got the, a, the call, like, you're hired. It was within a week. And, and then I moved out there within another week. So it was like two weeks from from like idea to like, <laughs> I live in Minneapolis. It was pretty fast. That's quite a tra uh, change in climate. Yeah, it was definitely. And I, <laughs> I was ignorant, man. I remember like Prince laughed at me. One of the first gigs that we did was in Buffalo, New York, and and we landed during a blizzard and I had like this blazer on and a turtleneck and I thought that that was like, that was my winter garb, you know? And he looked at me and he was just like, is that your coat? Where's your coat? And he made me, he made the road manager take me to the department store and buy a winter coat the next day. So, you know, it's like winter coat, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yep, I can relate. That's a, um, you know, I'm a native California too, as I was telling you. And the first time I went to New York, I showed up in winter, uh, just shorts off the plane. And yeah, that's, right. That's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, this is serious. It's sort of like being a country bumpkin in a way, you know? Just yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Clueless. Um, so when you uh, got the word though, were you super excited or were you a little apprehensive or? I was totally excited. Yeah. I mean, I had already lied and said I got the gig like to, you know, to a, like a stranger at a bus stop one day, he was, this guy was talking to me and I was like, well, yeah, I'm moving out of town. Cause I play, I play keyboards with Prince. And he was just like, what? But yeah. <laughs> so you had you hadn't even heard uh, "I Want to Be Your Lover" before before that. No, I did. I did. That was that was the one song I heard. But I thought it. I didn't know it was him. I thought it was Sister Sledge. Honestly. <laughs> well, I think the very first time I heard "Soft and Wet," I probably thought it was a female artist. Yeah. I mean, that voice was so so pure. It's like, oh, that's a dude, you know. <laughs> not a, he's not a dude, though. He was a creature. <laughs> so did um, you, were you given any reason, or, or were you curious what happened with your predecessor? I was curious, yeah. And um, they told me that she was very religious and that she became uncomfortable with the subject matter 
but they didn't really tell me about like the kissing on stage and stuff at, at first. Like I didn't know about all of that. And I think it's a good thing they didn't tell me that because, wow. I mean, she went through some, you know, like, wow, really? And like Bobby talks about it and just like, poor Gail, like some nights Prince would just like kiss her for just like minutes on end. And like, it was like, God, enough already. It's gross. <laughs> it freaked the band out kind of. Um, I don't know how Gail, you know, I mean, I know she wasn't even really a keyboard player though too, right? It was sort of like, she was a guitar player. I don't know, something like that. But um, well, she ended up behind the keys. She what? She ended up behind the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, in the um, when you came in there, was everyone else already in place? That would be was Des or Andre still around or? Yeah, Des and Andre were were still there. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't stick around very long after you came in though, right? Just like a year or something? Yeah, about a year. Uh, with Andre, Des was a little longer. With Andre, it surprised me too. I remember when um, when he left the band, well, Prince actually told me he came home. I, I lived with Prince's girlfriend, Kim Upshur, and so sometimes I say he came home because we all kind of lived together like you do when you're in your 20s. <laughs> um, but he came home one night and he said, I fired Andre. And I literally, I laughed at him. I was like, you can't fire Andre. <laughs> like that, he's your brother. I mean, what does that even mean? You know, and he's like, Yes, I can, and I did, and he's not in the band anymore, and we're going to get a new bass player, and we got to, you know, he got really serious, and, you know, we got to do this and get to rehearsal, and I think he was freaked out himself, you know, because he just got a little bit more mean to try to, like, you know convince everyone that that was that had to happen hmm. so i don't know i still wish that they would have repaired their relationship more earlier because they were you know yeah i mean you hear different stories you know i heard that he uh, andre left because he wanted to do more of his own thing and you know yeah well, I mean, it, he was doing his thing. That was his thing, you know, and it was just, and I know how Prince, Prince was strong, man, you know, I mean, he would like, you know, wrestle you down and, you know, maybe Andre was just sick of competing, you know. I mean, I don't know. What, Lisa, what, what were your like early impressions of Prince both as, you know, a guy and as a musician? Um, I, I was, uh, I felt like he was 
somebody special, that he was definitely on a path. I, I mean, as a kid, I I had been around, you know, like I I had gone to like um, Sly Stone's house or the Mamas and Papas. Like my dad played with people and I'd go to their house sometimes and they'd have a studio in their house. And I just remember like there was a sense and a, there was a feeling and a, sm a smell even like of the studio and like cologne and like somebody's busy here doing being a star, you know, like even just acting like one. And um, he had that feeling around him, you know, he was... He um he, he could he could just make you feel like things were gonna happen, even if you were just like sitting around waiting for the bus. <laughs> I just I believed him. Like I totally like, oh yeah. He's yeah, Prince? Oh yeah, for sure. He's gonna make it. It's like yeah. a, he had a certain aura about him, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of palatable. I mean, I, I think everyone who who met him and just was around him, you, you know, he he had an energy that was was kind of different and really powerful. You know, just whatever mood he was in could, you know, dictate whatever mood everybody was in, you know. So that was difficult sometimes when he was under a lot of pressure and, you know, would be really hard on the band and stuff. And and sometimes we'd try to lighten it up and just be his friends and, you know, like, hey, you know, fuck that, don't worry about that stuff, you know. But if it, but if he wasn't, into hearing it, it would just, it would really kill, <laughs> kill the mood. And everyone would just, <laughs> quiet. How much did he sort of direct or dictate, you know, what you would do as a keyboard player within the band early on? Um, at first he just was like, just play your parts. Like he taught, like Matt had a lot to do with like teaching me what Gail used to do. Like, oh, Gail played this string part on that song, you know, this organ part on this song. And it was all really easy. And um, I remember <laughs> one of my first gigs, I kind of, he gave me a solo on the piano, which I didn't expect. And then for some reason after my solo, all of a sudden I started just playing like extra stuff. I wasn't just sticking to my parts on the songs. I was just like jamming kind of. And he was, oh, you got kind of happy last night. <laughs> yeah, just stick to your parts, <laughs> okay. And so, at first, it was about sticking to the parts, you know. Um, 
And that's why I used to take a yo-yo on stage and that, that's how I would express my like, I'm so bored back here. I'm playing with a yo-yo while I play your stupid parts. I was a brat. <laughs> was there a particular song early on that was a little harder maybe than the rest or more challenging or you just kind of fell in line with all of it? No, I think the, the hardest part was um, being getting the coordination together to do the background vocals and play like two parts. I had to really learn in slow motion and just like which finger goes first and then you say the word free and it was like, that was hard for me at first. And then he added in, you know, the front line did choreography, but you know, so what are you gonna do in the back? <laughs> Turn your head this way. Turn your head that. You know, so yeah. How did how, how did you avoid uh, having him give you a nickname? He kept Lisa. Lisa was fine, right? <laughs> yeah, this is a four-letter word. <laughs> um, did he ever actually uh, uh, get on the keyboard and, and personally show you how to play certain parts, or was it pretty much math that kind of showed you? Um, no, pr yeah, Prince would, he would do it sometimes, or he would get an idea for a part and come up to my little station and here, try something like this, you know, and I loved, I loved it when he did that because I loved watching his hands and he just had a way uh, of finding the funk, you know, the space. So I always was like, yeah, you do it, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, that would happen. Because usually he'd ask first, like, what do you, what do you got? You know, I'm like, well, I'm something like this. <laughs> and if it was cool, he'd like, okay, cool. Or, or maybe it would, it would be half cool. And he, then he'd come up and like, well, show me what you were doing and then he'd do it kind of his way and we started doing that more and more and it was so even now i'm still discovering how how much we had in common we, we used to accidentally write the same things and and like, oh my God, I just wrote that yesterday. Like I played this string part for something we were working on and he was like, oh my God, that was, I just did that uh, yesterday for on um, Sheena Easton's song or something. You know, it was like, we did these same, we heard things very similarly. And I think our hands kind of felt the same on the keyboard. I don't know, that's a weird thing to say, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I understand you had this connection. Um, I had a thought and it just passed, but um, yeah. <laughs> so the first record that you actually appeared on, you, you did uh, something on, on Dirty Mind, is that? Yes. 
Yeah, so you're certainly in the in the photo there. There I am. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. what, what did you what was the first thing you got to do in the studio with Prince? Um that's so funny because it it was head. It was the the virgin dialogue. I'm just a virgin and I'm on my way to be wed. And you know, there I was learning a Mozart concerto, you know, at home. <laughs> I have to go to the studio, mom and dad, I'll be back later. And I'm just a virgin <laughs> on my way. But I thought that was cool. I I you know. And my parents were like they were cool. They were, you know, they thought Prince was super talented. Otherwise, they would have gone like, what are you doing? How many takes did it take you just to get that intonation the way he wanted it on that? Oh, it didn't take much. Um, I just did it a couple times, I think. I think he liked the how naive I sounded because I wasn't totally going sexy even you know like if i listen to it now it's like i sound a little bit sarcastic it always struck me as being sort of like a, a little cool and detached kind of vibe yeah and i think it, it's just because i didn't know you know i wasn't all that and i wasn't all like i'm just a virgin baby you know it wasn't but that didn't fit the part yeah. You know, so I think he was pleased that, you know, I was just a 19-year-old kind of uh, country bumpkin from Hollywood. <laughs> uh, were you on other things on that record? Um, yeah, I think later on at his house, I think I was on Party Up. Just little things, background vocals and... And claps. I didn't do any playing that I that I remember, unless it was party up. Because I I remember that was that was in his basement, like in a on a sixteen track uh, reel to reel, and it was one of the first times I. I uh, I was there, and and yeah, I think, and the guys started laughing at, at me and going, I, I bet she never thought she'd be in some guy's basement doing hand claps to party up, you, you know, when she's from Hollywood or something, I don't know, they were teasing me, and I was having fun, I thought it was great. <laughs> did did um, Prince um suggest or direct you like an, on your attire or did you kind of come up with that on your own or oh yeah that was that was the fight that we had all the time he was you know because it was he wanted the lingerie thing and um and i really it was like that didn't speak to me <laughs> in any kind of way. And so, but my compromise in the beginning was, and this was more, you know, I wore jeans and a bra and I had that raincoat like, and so I'd take off the raincoat and then 
during the virgin thing and and then I just have a bra and jeans and so he thought that was doable <laughs> but it didn't last long next thing cut to like a year later and he calls me up and we, we have to go shopping I was like okay and he picked me up with Morris Day and Prince and Morris Day took me lingerie shopping. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. I, and I lived to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it was brutal, man. Just imagine that. Everything I tried on and come out and they're all like, you know, doing all that, laughing and like big white girl legs. And, uh, I don't know what they were saying, and I was just like mortified. And uh, but they must have liked it because they made me buy it. And Prince wouldn't have let me go on stage if I looked like it. I don't think he would. Well, they stopped short of the Vanity Six thing, but yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like. I don't I don't want to go too far yeah because I you know I mean I was a feminist I mean I'm still a feminist you know just by nature it's it's not even like a thought process to me you know so it was fair it was odd for me to put on those things as you know I, I needed to know what my motivation was you know like why? What does that mean? Is it is it a, what kind of statement am I making, or am I just being the sexy, you know, sex thing? <laughs> because that was good enough for him at the time. Or are you doing it because you are empowered as a woman, and that's what you choose to do? Yeah. Well, that was how we had to spin it. Like this is my power, and it's part of my power. But on top of that, I knew that I had to play better than ever. So I wanted like harder keyboard parts and I wanted solos again. And I wanted, you know, now feature me. Now, you know, show this girl in lingerie that could tear it up, you know, not just like be up there and think, Right, yeah. So, you know, that became my, that was my mission. <laughs> Give you a little more chip on your shoulder or something. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you two questions about um, the musical part of it. One is, how did you decide, you know, part-wise, what Matt would play and what you would play, since you're two keyboard players? And the other is, you know, your background did not sound like you really, you know, came from a funk place. And funk is so much about feel and space and the groove. So how did you... Um, you know, find the funk, and uh, and how did you um, determine the arrangements uh, with Matt? Um, great question, uh, because my my like position evolved. Um, at first, Matt would handle like the piano parts, you know, like the the meatier parts, and I would just do like. Me, 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 
yeah. And like, around the world. Um, but at, when Prince got to know me and he, he found the funk in me kind of, because he would come up and tell me to play, try this part, and then I would play it. And I think it really impressed him. You go, wow. Because then all of a sudden I was playing like all the funky, like little background parts, you know, in all the songs, there's always, you know, like a little organ, little funky organ part or clavinet or something. Um, and then Matt was kind of assigned to the parts, you know, the string part and the, or, you know, piano part or whatever. Um, but then I started, <laughs> you know, my chordal sensibility was really kind of abstract. So I could play like those funk things and then start stretching it out harmonically. And that really turned Prince on. And um, and then I moved into doing things like doing little string arrangements and stuff that kind of decorated the music a little more, you know, and because um, he liked the way I heard things. And, you know, I don't know how I found the funk. It, it's the funk found me because I, I I remember even as a kid, because I've always been, I've always improvised. I didn't know what that was until I grew up, and now I improvise like that's a religion to me. But. Um, I just, when I was a kid, my next door neighbor had a band, you know, the boy next door, and he came over one day and said, will you be in my band? You're so funky. And I, I was like, I'm not funky. I even said, no, I'm not funky. I can't be in your band. <laughs> and I turned him down and, you know, I was like, that's so weird that he asked me and said I was funky, you know. And, um. I blame my father because he was a percussionist. He played on Motown records. <laughs> so you can avoid picking up some of that rhythm. Exactly. So, so yeah, Prince, I learned so much from him. And then we, we met in the middle and we shared so much. I, you know, I, I don't know how to ever describe that. Um, but a lot of people got to hear a lot of good music and there's still a lot in the vault that can be heard, things that we did and experiments we did. And um, uh, yeah, I miss him, I miss him a lot. It's like losing a brother to me. Um, yeah he played a, a huge role just in in my family i met my wife I've, I've said this story many times but i met my wife because of him my son is indirectly named after him oh uh, wow it's just you know yeah like a brother to to me and 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 my wife too you know wow so, yeah we can't we can't believe it's happened still i know 
I know. It's even, it's still unbelievable. Still just, you can come out now. <laughs> yeah. We get it. Was, was, um, I saw the show at the, at the Coliseum where he opened for the Stones and got knocked off the stage. Was that one of your first shows or how many had you done before, <laughs> before that happened? Yeah, that was, that was kind of my second, my second tour, like my, you know, my second year of college. That, that gig was Brown Mark's very first gig with us. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, that was his. <laughs> and he didn't know who the Stones were. He was oh. kind of, so who are we? We're opening for what? <laughs> yeah, the Rolling Stones. He was like, who are they? Like, you know, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> he didn't really know. I'm not familiar with them. But that was his first gig and, you know, he got, you know, whatever it was, two songs in and boom, he got an orange right to the bass head and it detuned his bass and he's just like, oh, is this what this is going to be like? <laughs> no. You guys needed that chicken wire up there. Yeah, exactly. I, I was mortified because I had been bragging to all of my friends about how great uh, Prince and you guys were. And, um, and they're like, okay, let's see this, Scott, you know? And they, we all went, and then that happened. Oh, yeah. man. It's like, I'm telling you, you know. What was that like to be in the, in the audience and see that? Well, personally, I was completely disgusted. You know, I mean, I thought it was... I thought it, there was a racial element to it, frankly, and I was just yeah. really appalled by it, you know, and I felt like even he tried to, um, in my mind, try to maybe go a little more Hendrixy even to try to win them over on that show with, um, he was like really going heavy into the guitar and stuff and they still did give him a chance. Yeah, I know. You know, we changed the set because like, we came back for the second show two days later yeah. and we changed the set and everything when it's still they they didn't care by that time they were just like they just wanted to hate us or him or you know just it became a sport like the second gig <laughs> it was like let's get prince well those those same friends though they were all like um after purple rain they're all like Oh, they're forget, Scott. You were always saying, you know. <laughs> um, but then I, I saw the show just a few months later at the Santa Monica Civic. Oh yeah. And um, that was just phenomenal because I felt like he had come back to reclaim what was his, you know, after yeah. that debacle at the Coliseum. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. That, that Civic show kicked ass. I mean, it was short, but it was so tight. And I'll never forget um, one part where he was playing the um, guitar and the keyboard at the same time, I think, during Head. It was just awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I remember that gig. That, I remember he asked me for um, 
a classical CD to play before the gig. He wanted classical music playing for whatever reason, which is interesting after having, you know, come from a riot at the Coliseum. <laughs> 